0: Welcome you back to your seats. It is time to quit fellowshipping. I know you haven't seen people in three months, but it is time to begin. All right, let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Father God, now as we turn our attention to your word, we always recognize that it is God-breathed. It comes from heaven, doesn't have its origin here on earth. Nobody was smart enough to think this plan up. God, we just thank you for your wonderful wisdom. We thank you, Father God, that you didn't wait for us to turn to you because that would have been a long time, but you initiated. It's not that we loved you, but that, God, you first loved us and sent your son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Thank you for that kind of love, the love that sets our hearts free. Now, as we look into your word, show us. What you have for us, God, each person, you, you ordained our footsteps. No, Nobody's here by accident. You have something to say to every single soul here. So speak, we're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Back in the early days, as most of you know, when we planted the church, I was also teaching uh, full-time at a vocational college there uh, in the East Bay, and uh, one day I was sitting in the faculty uh, lounge with the rest of the teachers, and a dean popped her head into uh, the lounge there and said, don't forget, we have a meeting after uh, school today. Uh, We've got somebody coming from the district office with some good news about some insurance and all of that. And so it was a person I had never met before. And so as the door closed behind her, another teacher said, oh, my word, what a witch, Uh, speaking of the woman who was coming after school. And she said, how am I ever going to survive an hour of that? And then I just thought, oh, no. I mean, I, I've got a commute to go home. Now I'm going to be delayed. and then I'm going to be tortured on top of everything <laughs> else. And so two thirty came, classes are out. and we headed to the conference room where I'm bracing myself, sitting pensively, awaiting uh, to be tortured for an hour of agony. And then she walked. Brow- bright countenance, pleasant face nicely dressed, laughing, greeting us with the sweetest southern accent. And I said to myself, who is this? <laughs> who is this woman? Where's the witch? <laughs> Where's the witch? Is she like the opening act? <laughs> you know, is, is maybe, a, maybe she's the personal assistant, you, you know? And I kept my eye on the door for for the real person to come through. No, no, no. She was the witch who was to come. And her talk, uh, her good news about the insurance was great. But uh, I spent a lot of time sitting there thinking, how in the world could anybody describe this woman as a witch? Pleasant as she was, really. And so it dawned on me that I needed to consider the source. Let's call her Nancy because you guys are catching on. Nancy was a kind of a sour soul, and her bitter disposition, as it always will do, will distort your ability to see people and circumstances as they are. And so she sadly misled us and set us up with a false picture and image of the one who was coming to bring some good news. Huh? You see where this is going? (laughs) You're catching on. And so, yes, indeed, uh, the Nazis of Jesus' day were hard at work. They were better souls, the Pharisees, weren't they? And their full-time job was slandering Jesus, who a lot of people hadn't met yet. They just heard about. But they were making sure everybody heard what an evil person he was. And, oh, you're going to see some power. But you know where he gets his power? He gets it from the devil. And so before they had a chance to even meet or hear him, their perception of him was poisoned. And so... When they did meet Jesus, they're like, "Uh, wait a second here, where's that evil guy? (laughs) You know, just sort of like in the story. And so here in Matthew 12, we've got time uh, to correct all of that misperception, set the record straight with all, and it seems to Matthew that Isaiah anticipated the fake news and the slander and the misperceptions about Messiah, what he was like and what he came to do. And, and so there's a passage that Matthew's going to point back to, to to straighten everybody's perception out, that it would be biblical, that the coming Messiah was nobody to fear. He wasn't evil. He wasn't intent on harming people, but giving people a hope in a future, gentle, humble in heart, not a harsh taskmaster at all, not some out-of-touch, weird religious figure that you couldn't relate to, but but a human being, a warm, compassionate man who spoke the truth and revealed the heart of God. He didn't come to condemn weak people, but to mend broken lives. And so he didn't come to snuff out a flickering flame, but to rekindle it, that we would have abundant life and joy. And so uh, we're going to start at verse 15 where we left off there and make it down to verse 21. Many people, maybe even in this room, have the wrong idea about who Jesus is, how he feels about them and their brokenness, right? Does he despise you that you just can't seem to get it together? Or is he kind and patient we got to stop listening to the Nancys and start paying attention to the word of God. And here it is, starting at verse 15. Aware of this, that the Pharisees went out and plotted to, uh, to put him to death. Aware that they went out to conspire to execute him. Verse 15, Jesus withdrew from that place. Many followed him and he healed all of their sick, all. They're sick. He healed all. Wow. Verse 16, warning them not to tell who he was. Now, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. And there it is, chapter 42, verses 1 through 4 there in Isaiah. Verse 18, here is my servant whom I have chosen. This is 700 years before Jesus appeared. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. Interesting. Verse 19. He's not going to be quarreling, crying out the street corners. No one's going to hear his voice on the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he leads justice to victory. In his name the nations will put their hope. He's hopeful. He's a reason to be optimistic. He's for us, not against us. He didn't come to condemn the world. He had to tell everybody. No, I I didn't come to judge the world. I came to save the world. John chapter 3, right after verse 16. He said that in verse 17. So as that goes away, we are going to walk through it. Little bite-sized pieces for us to enjoy and apply to our hearts and lives. Perhaps... Some of the most lovely and encouraging and comforting words in all of the Bible right there before us. And so first, the first two verses, note takers, uh, uh, begin with while the Pharisees are are slandering and dogging him and wanting to kill him. Matthew's going to describe this quiet withdrawal of this gentle Jesus with a humble heart the son of God, God himself. Uh, He moves to a more rural, less populated area. And the rest of the passage is the quotation from Isaiah, which kind of tells us that this behavior of Jesus, this, this modest humility, this withdrawal, not forcing himself on people, is in keeping with the nature and character of what Isaiah said the Messiah would be like. And so he's unassuming, he's other-centered, he is a mellow ministry style. It's amazing. He didn't come as a steamroller, this Messiah, into the world, you know? He came gently with an approach that was humble and meek, not to intimidate broken people, but to draw them and say, come to me. I'm gentle, I'm humble in heart. You'll find rest. Don't have to be afraid. Even though he's equal to God himself. Fullness of God in a human body, Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. And so let's walk through this sweet, comforting description. And uh, we're gonna begin, note takers, with uh, number one, a wise withdrawal. So uh, pulling back, you know, is not necessarily uh, a sign of weakness or cowardice, it's a sign of wisdom. So here it is. I'll paraphrase verses 15 and 16, knowing that the Pharisees were conspiring how to kill him, not if they should kill him. The the preceding verse is how they're going to do it. Oh, we know we're going to kill him. We just got to figure out how we're going to get away with it. Uh, Jesus removed himself from the scene many still followed him of course he can't help it and he was able to heal all the sick among them and he warned them to keep things quiet and so let's park there and talk about this things are definitely heating up there in Matthew 12 from Matthew 12 is a turning point officially now things have gone sour and the The crowds are growing cold, uh, led by the Pharisees who's denouncing them. And anybody who's following him uh, could get excommunicated from their synagogues as per the Pharisees. And so, yeah, things are, uh, he's not very popular right now. And so aware of this, verse 15, those reprobate religious leaders uh, really have the last straw. Last week we saw that he did a terrible, evil thing by helping a man with a withered hand uh, uh, into uh, restoring it as good as the other one. But he did that work on a Saturday, which is the Sabbath. Yes, sir, you should be horrified to do something that wonderful and work on the Sabbath. How awful. And so you'll remember that the Pharisees had turned the holiday into a horrible day of rules for the rules and regulations, so much so nobody could even breathe. Just stay home and stand like this, or you were going to violate the Sabbath. And so seven times in the scriptures, Jesus is working on Saturday, healing somebody in the Bible seven times. And so the man with the atrophied hand is restored, an older woman who is crippled and bent over, Uh, for many years, 18 years and a man born blind even uh, and they couldn't see that. A guy who couldn't see now sees all they saw was you did it on Saturday we're going to kill you. And so uh, Jesus turned to them with the blind guy and said how ironic here's a guy who was blind but he sees he knows who I am but you guys who claim to see you're blind. And how sad, and he told the crowd, just ignore them, quote, ignore them, because the blind, leading the blind, both are going to fall into a dark ditch. So that was his word. They went out anyway, and look at Jesus. He just withdraws, relocates himself down there in verse 15 to quieter pastures, some breathing room, time to rest. He could minister to people and heal those who were sick. Peace and quiet, no fuss, headed for the hills. They were cramping his style, right? And so he'd go to what the Bible would call lonely places and he'd preach first before he healed. He always preached first. He would preach anyone who believed in him would cross over from death into life and would not be condemned but come to have the light of life, John chapter 5 and verse 24. And then he would heal all the sick as evidence that he could deliver on the greater, more significant promise of eternal life. You know, it's one thing uh, to get your eyes opened, right? If you were blind, it's another thing to live forever and have no sins and stand before God as white as snow with not one charge against you. Your whole lifetime, yeah. He said, I can deliver that promise, watch this. And then he would heal. And in this case, all the sick, come on, that's a big word. Every single one, it's just saying, look, nothing's too difficult for the God who made everything through whose power, listen, in Christ, all things hold together. Nothing's too hard for him. So they brought anybody you know with leprosy or demonic activity or death or hadn't walked all their lives and he healed them you know. And so he told them in your text here keep this uh, as they say on the on the down low. Just don't make a big deal. Don't make a scene about that. And he did that for a few reasons. And one was of course it bought more time to reach more people. Uh, Mark chapter 1, somebody's told that, and they publish it anyway, Bible's words there. And as a result, Jesus is no longer able to do his ministry. right? And the second reason given was uh, he, the, the crucifixion is timed to a day and an hour. If you go to Daniel chapter 9 and do the math, you can count from... 444 bc the amount of days hundreds of years count the days to the crucifixion and holy week so so it could not be that he goes to the cross on the second passover of his ministry it's going to have to be the third passover and so no need to rile them up right now so you know it's timing people so you know, don't make a scene about this. But the third and more significant thing here really is that the command to keep things quiet is in keeping with his character, the character of God, uh, his disposition, I mean, as prophesied in Isaiah 42. And that's the reason given for, why would Jesus tell somebody not to to talk about this life-changing, miraculous thing that had happened to them? And Matthew says, I'll tell you why. It's in keeping with the heart and the nature, the disposition of who God really is. Wow. Because Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, to quote Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. So if you want to know what God looks like, Jesus says on the night he was betrayed, look at me, because anybody who's seen me has seen the Father. How long have I been with you guys? Still you don't know who I am? Hello? I am the Father in his Radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his being. So he goes to Isaiah where we're going to just walk through this prophecy. It will start with the first verse of uh, 17 and then 18. Let's take a look at that. It's already there. Uh, This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. There in Isaiah 42, here's my servant whom I've chosen, the one I love. I delight in him. I'm going to put my spirit on him and 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 he will proclaim justice to the nation. So we're going to look now from a wise withdrawal to the servant king, the servant king. You have got to understand who Jesus is. If you understand the servant-heartedness of him, it'll change how you think about him, how he sees your life, and how you respond in this world. Are you greater than God? God was a lowly servant. And Isaiah 42, 1 through 4, that he is hearkening back to, the whole theme is about lowliness of heart. This is God. This is who God is. He's lowly in heart. He's gentle, meek, and mild. Yeah, there's the other side to him. The world's going to get a a good, up-close-and-personal experience with that. But his heart unprovoked this is who he is the son of god uh appears as a form first word uh, that i want to talk about we're going to just take the important ideas and walk through the prophecy is humble servant of course okay so the jews the jews of all people on this planet should really have understood the messiah's mission better than anybody else because it's written in their book the Tanakh the Tanakh is their Bible the Old Testament they call it the Bible or Tanakh and there he is he's called the suffering servant Isaiah has four poems you know Isaiah how it's set like prose it's because it's written like poetry the whole book And so you've got these servant songs about the Messiah, songs about Calvary, songs about the atonement, songs about suffering and rejection. Uh, You know, Isaiah uh, 49 and 1 through 6, Isaiah 50, 4 through 7, Isaiah 52, verse 13, all the way through that famous Isaiah 53 that, that just so vividly describes the crucifixion 700 years before. Jesus appears, that he was pierced and wounded for our transgressions. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his flogging, we are made whole and saved. And did you know that to this day, Isaiah 53 is the forbidden chapter for reading in the synagogues. They go from 52 to 52 to 54 in their weekly uh, Shabbat meetings. They skip it all together. Why? Because when a Jew reads that, they go, what is Jesus doing in our Tanakh? Uh Well, I'll tell you what he's doing in your Bible. He's dying for the sins of your nation, your Messiah, the Messiah that you guys rejected, that the world received, pretty much, right? Right? And so immediately we have the thought of lowliness. Modest, humble, no spotlight. This is why he retreats so so readily. Because he's not trying to make a name for himself. It's not all about, well, yeah, I'll tell you, you know. No, 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 no. He's the perfect gentleman. You don't want me around? Fine. I got a big crowd. They'll follow me. We'll go backpacking up into the hills where the Pharisees and the Sadducees were too weak, to climb, whatever, too out of shape, eating all of their halva. You know, you guys don't know what that is, but look it up. You can Google it. So Jesus is the humble servant. I've got Philippians 2. This is our God. He came as a servant. In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude as Jesus who even though he was the same nature of God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. And and this is why he could retreat. It's not about the numbers. It's not about me. It's not about the peak spotlight on me, people. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. There it is, the servant song. He appeared as a servant, Doing what? Carrying the sins of his people on his shoulders. Being made in human likeness and being found in an appearance of a man, the God-man. He humbles himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. (laughs) This is Jesus. Uh, Psalm 75, I really like. Promotion doesn't come from the east or the west or the north or the south, but from God. And Jesus knows that. He entrusts himself to the Father. He's not afraid. He's not counting the numbers. Oh, people don't like me anymore. Oh, no, they're going to kill me. He's like, what? I, I'm a servant. I'm lowly and hard. Time for me to back off and do my thing in obscurity. It's okay for Jesus. And In John 8, he just said flatly, I'm not seeking glory for myself. Oh, there's somebody who's seeking my glory, but it's not me. I came to honor to. Even God is self-effacing, in the Godhead. They're pointing to each other. That's amazing. (laughs) It's just amazing. Yes, we can't wrap our minds about it, so we withdraws. You know, he's not. This is my thought here, and I have like big stars all over. God is not self-absorbed. He's not self-self-centered. How about you and me? Jesus says, I don't know about you, but I didn't come to be served. I didn't come to say, look at me, everybody. Get busy. I'm God. I'm the Lord. And he was. Mm -hmm. Can you show some respect, people? No, 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 no. He's not worried about making a name for himself, but making a name for the Father, that everybody would look to him. I would have loved, back the last 17 years, to have more Christian singers come. But they come, some of them, with $10,000 writers with a detailed list of what they require, down to the size of the audience, the amount of the honorarium, and down to the Diet Coke and the gluten-free snacks. And our God, Jesus, he comes and says, how may I serve you? No honorarium required, and I'll eat whatever you put in front of me. Mind-boggling. Still today, he serves us still, doesn't he? He's interceding for you right now. He's making sure you're protected right now. He is comforting your heart if you let him. Even right now, he serves us even still. And get this, it doesn't end in this life. He says, for those who were faithful and endured to the end, which is what born again people do. He says, I tell you the truth. In heaven, the master will rise and serve them at the marriage supper of the Lamb. You're going to see your God who spoke and made the earth stand up and have a tray serving you. Once his enemy, once you didn't want anything to do with him, and still to this day you have a little bit of struggle with that, and still he's going to serve us because that's who Jesus is. <laughs> is so the next word is chosen that i want to talk about what does it mean that he was chosen well it really it just means that the father approved him uh, approves this decisive way for sinners to be uh, reconciled the word just means chosen it's where we get the word christ or messiah it means the one he's the one he's the way Another is when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me because the Father's choice of how that one way to him is, is through Christ. That's what it means, chosen and well-loved. Well, approval and choice and love, they always go together, don't they? And so here's the idea about him, God just saying, and by the way, I love him. The world. We may have despised and rejected him, despised and rejected by men. We esteemed him not, but the Father has a special affection for the Son. And Jesus was going to say something like just like that. He says in John chapter 10, the reason the Father loves me is I lay down my life for the sheep. I do it willingly. Nobody's going to strong arm me. I came to do that. And that's the reason he loves me. Well, there's lots of reasons there's love in the Godhead. But Jesus just points out that the cross may cause the world to turn their face from and go, ooh, ooh, right? And he says, oh, no, no, no. Oh, God loves what I'm doing there, Jesus Uh, That reminds me of the baptism where the Lord just, uh, the Father just shouts it out for everybody to hear. He comes up out of the baptismal waters. He says, this is my boy whom I love. I'm well pleased. In case you think he's being baptized for sins of his own. Oh no, I'm well pleased. These sins are your sins going on him. He's identifying in baptism with the sins of the world that will be put on the sinless one as he carries them To be judged by the wrath of God upon the cross as the sin bearing servant. And then he says, uh, verse 18, it's only one verse I will put my spirit on him. I'll say, (laughs) I'll say, Jesus has the Father's Spirit on him and in him, since he's the fullness of God in every way. So Nicodemus is the one who added this truth, right? When Nicodemus says, hey, we know you came from God because nobody could do what you're doing unless God was with him. So we get this, that you're from heaven, I mean, or that God's spirit rests on you, right? And then Jesus took advantage of that. He said, if I can't do what only God can do, don't believe me. John chapter 10. But if I do what only God can do, then uh, you know if I can heal a man's ear after it was severed from his head, I looked the word up to make sure it means when Peter went splicing with that sort, he severed Malchus' ear from his head, and Jesus touched his ear and restored it, made a new one. Why not? He made the world. Why not? He made the man to begin with. No problems there. So Jesus says, look, you'd be fully in your right mind to reject me completely. But if I can, I don't even need to bend over and pick up the old ear go like that, put it back on his head like Mr. Potato Head. I don't got to do that. I don't have to do that. He goes, I could just come up with a new one. You don't want that one, anyone. I got a better one right here. Look, oh, oh, it wasn't in my sleeve. <laughs> yeah, because you get it. I'm having fun. I don't know about you, but. So, and then it goes on. He's going to proclaim justice. Oh, no, I hope he doesn't do that. Oh, if he proclaims justice, we're in a lot of trouble. But the gospel is about the just God who justifies the wicked. So he says, I'm going to proclaim God's style of justice. It's called the gospel, right? And it's going to go to the nations in your verse there. Yeah, it started with Jerusalem and Israel. But Jesus made it to Syria and Lebanon and to Jordan. Do you know that? It wasn't called that. It was called Tyre and Sidon and the Decapolis. Jesus got around, and it was heading to the nations. And who do you think told the 120 in the upper room, I want you to take this to the utmost parts of the world, that you're my witnesses, he's still proclaiming the gospel. The gospel there, the the word justice, Uh, means to judge, right? And it can mean to condemn as well. But God's style of justice is the wages of sin is death. And uh, people don't understand that God justly punished all of our sins on Jesus. So it's not wink, wink, you can get in, you're okay. Uh, You know, I'm just gonna turn a blind eye to it. No, that's not justice. Justice is every last sin from every last soul has been fully paid by what Jesus went through. The half of it we don't even know. We don't even know. He didn't want you to know. What, What kind of father wants you to know, I mean, the depths of it? We know enough as it is, right? People who are crying out for justice today, they really don't know what they're asking for. What do we want? Justice, when do we want it? Now, my, my, my answer to that is no, no, you don't. No, please. And, and, and if you did get justice, you who are crying out in the name of uh, injustice and doing terrible things and committing crimes, if you got justice, you're gonna be thrown into prison. For the damage that you're doing in the name of injustice, and then asking for justice—what? What an irony! What an irony! And so, yeah, the definition, by the way, of social justice, which has kind of diverted so many churches. Hello, when you preach the gospel that we treat everybody the way we want to be treated. That's social justice. (laughs) And when you live out the gospel, you're living a socially uh, justice-loving life, right? I I mean, I digress. So we go to proclaiming justice there. Uh, uh, Jesus is the just who justifies the wicked. That's what that means in the gospel. And by the way, (laughs) the tribulation that's coming, God removes the church because we've been paid for. We're not to be judged. We're not appointed to God's wrath or judgment because Jesus paid for it. But when he removes us, there's justice coming for those who did it want. And and think about it. Every every Christian who's removed from the planet, who's left. Everybody who deserves to be punished because they rejected the year of God's favor, the amnesty. And so justice will prevail. And the tribulation, the seven years of 21 judgments that destroys the planet, and most of them, is justice. And Jesus says, it's either I pay or you guys pay. Which is it? So get on board. I'll get you out of the way. And then justice will prevail. Hmm. So let's move on to 19. It moves faster now. And just so if you're a little worried that, Pastor Ross, you're not going to finish, just I am i am jesus unique approach here verse 19 he's not going to quarrel or cry out no one will hear his voice in the streets take this to heart this is timely Ooh, timely jesus has a non-combative spirit about him uh, those who lead nations are mostly forceful characters they insist on having their own way all the time. And here's a leader, Isaiah tells you, who's not going to force himself on anybody who doesn't want him. The rich young ruler, you know, he's in this conversation with the Lord. And, and, and the Lord says, look, buddy, it's coveting and greed and idolatry. That's your problem. Get rid of the stuff and come to me. And the guy says, no can do, walked away sad, his face crestfallen. and Jesus doesn't go running after anybody. He just says, I laid it out for you, man. Are you gonna turn away and walk away? And Jesus says, Okay, though next. He doesn't force himself, he knocks. Open the door. And you notice that? Anybody who hears his voice and opens. He can knock rather loudly, for sure right as he did and so so yeah he's not combative he's not loud he's not in their face he's not like oh yeah well you know for example 1st Peter uh, chapter 2 verse 23 when they hurled insults at him the word is to heap upon he didn't retaliate when he suffered he made no threats instead he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly the father. And so in John chapter eight, they bring out the worst one of all. They say, Hey, listen, you. We weren't born of fornication like you. Hearkening back to the mystery around the virgin birth, we weren't born out of adultery, illegitimate. And there are some cuss words for that. I'm sure they called him that. And he didn't say, Well, you know what? Your mama. Yeah. No. Oh, he could have come up with some really creative things to say, but he didn't. He didn't. Even Jesus' harshest words—they're—they're they're, they're gentle and redemptive, even when he's telling them you're going to perish. It's with a broken heart because he delights that nobody uh, uh, perish, but that in his heart that they would turn and come to have life ezekiel 33 verse 11 in case you think that's just my idea and so yeah gentle tone can break the bone and so he's all about being uh gentle leon morris said this it's not that jesus doesn't strongly oppose evil but that he will not try to impose his will on everybody regardless of their desires so no quarreling it says no wrangling back and forth no debating no getting entangled like that his voice isn't going to be heard on the streets like hey yeah you and all of that stuff and you won't hear him on the streets, and you won't hear him on social media. You would not hear Jesus retorting back and forth. Oh yeah, well that comment. Oh well, I'm going to post this comment. Oh well, you you think that was smart? Well, let me tweet this, and I'm going to retweet that, and all of that. That's not the spirit of God. That's not the spirit of God. He would share the gospel. It would be sometimes the wisest thing to say in a calamity like today is nothing, nothing. Say nothing except when God prompts you to share the true answer, the true issue that men's hearts are wicked and the only remedy is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the love of God. Be reconciled to God is the answer. Not all all of this destruction and all of this wasted time and wasted drama, it's all over smokescreen, smokescreen, smoke screen and the devil loves it. Don't talk about the gospel. Don't talk about the answer. Just get sidetracked, sidetracked, sidetracked into heated, heated, heated. Make things more divisive, more angry, more frustrated. That's not what Jesus did. It's not who Jesus is. Let's finish up with my favorite verse of all, verse 20 and 21. Bruised reeds and smoldering wicks. (laughs) And just Nancy's all like, you know, you gotta be perfect for God to love you. You gotta have your act together. What kind of Christian you think you are? What kind of Christian are you? What kind of Christian thinks that or says that or has a marriage like yours? This is Nancy, the devil, your own heart. When in fact, it's the broken people he came for. Here it is. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he finishes the work in them, in the world. That's what that means. Everybody's got a reason for hope. And so, yeah, I love this. People have the wrong idea. He has to correct us all the time. Oh, I know the plans I have for you. Hello, plans not to harm you. Get it through your head. Not to harm you. Not to harm you. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Why does he have to say that? Because we're always thinking, well, that was the last straw. That was the last straw. He's gone now. And he says, you know what? The Father, Son, and Holy Ghost don't take the last train to the coast. <laughs> Bye-bye. Miss American Pie. (laughs) I don't know. Things jump into my head when they should realize they shouldn't do that. He came to heal, to strengthen, to revitalize. And what does he expect? He expects, you know, let me uh, just say this. A wrong idea about God? Can have damning effects, right? So in Matthew 25, the parable of the investor, the, before he becomes king, uh, the king uh, to be, the heir apparent, uh, uh, passes, calls in his servants, and he says, he gives one ten, a uh, uh, hundred dollars, one fifty dollars, and 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 or the one in twenty-five, he gives everybody the same amount. Uh, everybody gets hundred bucks. Go out and and make it work. And so he comes back. He calls the first dude in and he goes, your hundred made a thousand. Oh, great. Your hundred made f- five hundred. Oh, great. You know, and then there's the one dude who didn't do a thing. He's just a wicked unbeliever. I don't do anything. And then he says, explain yourself. And he goes, ah, here we go. I knew you were a hard man. Reaping where you have not sown. I knew you were a tyrant. I knew you were strict and harsh. I knew you would just, you know, you're the kind of guy who will take whatever you can get, a grasper, you know. You didn't do the work, but who cares? You're God, you take whatever you want. And so I was afraid, and I hid. Oh, too bad. The wrong perception of God made him hide but it's a woeful wrong perception isn't it because when you start to entertain something that's not true about god the holy spirit makes sure that you know that that's not true but if you want it to be true then you know you start to live that reality a bruised reed the reeds let me show you the reeds all right They made flutes out of them. They made pens. They made measuring sticks out of them, construction projects. They were quite useful. They were a dime a dozen growing there. They were like our California poppies there in Israel. They're everywhere, but only these were more useful, right? So whatever the need you wanted to make, that had to be whole. It had to, that was the important thing. It had to be intact. Right, and so since they were inexpensive and uh, you know abundant everywhere, since they grew by the millions, every marsh and riverside along the Sea of Galilee, along the Sea, uh, the the uh, Jordan River, uh, it was a natural thing. If you have one that's broken or flawed or weak or bruised or whatever, bent over, replace it. Oh, they're so frustrating to work with something that isn't. Um, working right so with man weak broken things they're a pain in the neck they're useless they cause frustration they cause more trouble when they're worth and so god thinks are you going to think that about your bruised and broken life you're going to think that i have the same attitude as men do with broken things oh no i like broken things i'm a redeemer i'd be out of a job (laughs) if nobody needed to be redeemed then i wouldn't be a redeemer but since i'm a redeemer you need to be fixed. The faucet outside our house, the little hose bib, you know, its threading is stripped. But I don't remember it until I go to use it, and it sprays all over me, you know. So <laughs> I turn it on, and it's usually when I'm right before I'm gonna to go to work, you know, or something like that. And so now I'm all wet. And every time I do it, I just think I. And you know what? I despise that little faucet. <laughs> I hate it. I have thoughts about it, and they're not good. All right? I can't wait to get a hold of it and take it off and say, you know what? You're going in the trash. How do you like that? And the Bible says, oh, don't get the wrong idea. I am patient. I'm kind. I'm humble. I'm drawn to that. Because not only did sin do that to you, but you to- Sadly, some of your parents. Sadly, your spouse. Sadly, the financial winds have ruined. Sadly, God knows. And he says, oh, 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 if you were okay, why would I even need to be around? (laughs) You're not okay. And that's okay, that you're not okay, right? And so let's uh, go to the, the wick, right? smoldering as it was. You know, this little light of mine, when it's about to go nine nine like that, you know, uh, for all the reasons I just mentioned in this cold, sick, abusive world, you know what, same story. When something's weak and about to go out, it's just barely hanging on. Jesus says, that's okay. You know, my heart, when I see that, it just makes me happy because I've got something to do. I'm willing, I'm delighted to help you. I see you crying out and saying, I don't have any more to give. I don't have it anymore. I got to plead somewhere along the way. Help me. And he says, my delight. And he breathes and he works and he takes. Time. He's not impatient. He says, "That's that's what I like. I like that. I, I'm okay with it. I mean, it's gonna be okay. It's gonna be better. Just wait and see." And and he says, "And he's going to do that until he leads justice to victory." Meaning those that he justified on his behalf. That's the justice until the gospel's complete in the smoldering wick and the bruised reed until listen the bruised reed becomes a pillar in the house of my God Jesus says I will make you a pillar broken reed and then to the smoldering wick he says I will breathe on you and you will shine like the sun in your father's kingdom Matthew 25 shining like the sun When you were once this, he says, I will not stop until it's finished and you are immovable, stable, and strong and shining the brilliance of 10,000 suns. Let's pray together. Father God, we just thank you so much for your great love. We thank you, God, that you're okay with our brokenness. And we can be okay, too. Help us, God, to admit it. We're desperate. We're broken. We've been snapped and sometimes just hanging on by a fiber, it seems. But in you, oh, Lord, we're safe and we're secure. Thank you for your patience and your long-suffering. Not to get frustrated with our broken condition, but to be willing to work with us to bring healing. strength in Jesus name. Amen. You've been listening to The Rock's podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 930 and 1130 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.